So we are really multifaceted. Um, we do everything, like I said, from running rakes to complete trail builds to special events, et cetera. It's kind of, well, it runs the gamut. Right now, like I said earlier, we're, we're at Bike Fest and we're building um, the Pro Slope Style Jump Line, which has been a really fun project, but there's a lot of moving pieces and a relatively tight deadline on it. So it's fun. It, it keeps us guessing. You never know exactly what you're going to be getting into every day, but we do know that we're going to be outside and we're going to be on trails, which is the best part. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 127 features Ethan Edmond, the trail crew leader for Trailblazers in Bentonville, Arkansas. We talk about Trailblazers' role in making trails a reality in Northwest Arkansas, aka Oz Trails. Jeremy P. McGee also breaks into the conversation about halfway through, and we discuss what Trailblazers is doing to make the region more adaptive-friendly as well. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit.com will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. Since the temps are finally warming up here in the Midwest, I've been starting to wear the Wayward Short Sleeve Active Top from Kettle Mountain. The Wayward Active Top is super breathable for maximum comfort, and it has a minimalist design so you can pick your kids up from school when you're done riding without looking like a Power Ranger. You can purchase the Wayward Short Sleeve Jersey Active Top and all the other fine Kettle Mountain Apparel products at ketlmtn.com backslash josh or hit the link in the show notes and you'll be supporting the Trail Effect podcast in the process. Use the code TRAILPOD when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain Apparel. You can also use the word TRAILPOD when checking out from Trail One Components. Check out all the good Trail One components at www.trail1.bike. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. Now on to Trail Effect with Ethan Edmond. Hey, here we go. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Ethan Edmond. Ethan is a trail crew manager for Trailblazers based out of Northwest Arkansas, aka the mountain bike capital of the world, Bentonville. Oh, <laughs> was that a good Rich Drew impersonation of the mountain bike capital of the world? It was pretty good. I'll give you at least a B plus. Great. If I can get a B plus behind Rich, that's 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 saying something. It really is. Watching those guys ride is so much fun too. Well, let's get into your backstory and basically like it, more specifically, like how you found mountain bikes, you know, because based on your bio that I read on, on the Trailblazers website, you came out of Southern Missouri, but then landed in not too far away, Arkansas. Yeah. And maybe found the bike. That's right. It, you know, um, I actually bought a bike, a uh, specialized hard rock disc 29 
in 2000 and I guess it was 2009. And um, it was a really early 29er and there were no jumps in the world pretty much at that point. And I was just trying to find something after college that let me be physical and allowed me to, to just kind of blow some steam off. Right. And so I picked up that bike and there's not very many mountain bike trails in Southwest Missouri, but we'd may do on, you know, old railway projects that had been turned into single or double track. And there was some kind of really terrible trails behind Ozark Christian college in Joplin, Missouri. And I rode those for a few years and that was about the time Bentonville started to like, you started to hear things about Bentonville's mountain biking scene getting going, especially Slaughter Pen and the early Slaughter Pen Jam. So made a couple trips to Bentonville, probably 2010-ish. And I graduated college around that same time from Missouri Southern and took a couple of years off after that and kind of lived my life, did the corporate job, actually ran my own business for a bit. And then come 2000 and I guess probably 17 or so, I, I started realizing that I was missing a part of my life. And that, that part of my life was being connected to the outdoors, riding my bicycle. Mountain bikes technically have been a part of my life, my whole life. My parents owned a bike shop when I was a kid um, called Joplin Bike and Fitness. And, you know, mountain bikes were very different when I was 10. but I was definitely one of those kids that was on my bike or outside or building some crazy, horrible, very sketchy jump at a very young age. And I think as I got older, that part of me uh, wanted to be expressed further. And in 2018, I made the decision to go full time into this world. And, you know, where I guess we're looking at five and a half years later, and it doesn't seem like that long, but it also feels like this is my home and where I'm supposed to be, at least in this industry. So yeah, I guess that's kind of it, the very short version, but mountain bikes and biking have been a part of my history since I was a very young age. And I hope that they continue to be a part of my life until a very old age. What is up with Joplin, Missouri? Because for those who don't know, American Ram Company slash Progressive Ram Company, not to be confused with Progressive Trail Design, is based out of Joplin, Missouri. And then the infamous, everybody knows this yeah. guy's name, the man behind yeah. Oz Trails, Gary Vernon, is also from Joplin, Missouri. What is up with yeah. Joplin and, and bringing people to Bentonville? I just don't know. Um, but you know, mine was kind of a weird happenstantial situation. I knew that I liked Bentonville because I had been there a few times. But 2011 was the year that I had graduated college and... Um, also the year of the tornado. I don't know if you remember that. Joplin had an EF5 tornado that year and it it, it was kind of devastating to the town. And it just felt like the time to get out. In Bentonville, I found a job that was in the Northwest Arkansas area and I just jumped kind of feet first and went for it. And my first house was actually in Fayetteville and I rode Lake Weddington Trail every day for a couple of years until I moved to Bentonville. And it it got that really got me hooked. But kind of back to your question, Joplin has there's more than just me too. There's a handful of us that are all here and we're all involved in the mountain biking community here. And I, I don't have an explanation for you because there's not, not much mountain biking in Joplin, but <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's on the way to Bentonville when I, when I come there at least. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I guess 45 or 50 miles just to the North right off 49. So it's kind of the first city you hit after you get out of Bentonville, I guess, other than Neosho, but that's not much more than a dot. So (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Hey, Neosho, don't sleep on Neosho though. They've got some fun trails there now, actually. Well, the whole state of Missouri is blowing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Let's fast forward to uh, Saturday and Sunday. I got this text message from a mutual friend of you guys being at the big mountain enduro down at Mount Nebo. How'd that go? Oh man, it was a hoot. I first and foremost need to preface this with the fact that Nebo is just a really special place in general. I think it is just breathtakingly beautiful the way it, it just stands out of the ground like this, almost like this pillar to this, to the gods, you know, to the sky. And, uh, it's a proper mountain. It's gorgeous. You can see for dozens and dozens of miles in any direction off the top of it. Um, the camping there's really great. I mean, it's just set up to be a really unique place with the plateau on top, the views, the lake, etc. The racing was very fun to watch. The new trails out there are quite spicy. So spicy that I, I think they actually removed a section of it before the race. But yeah, on Friday I I had the pleasure of of pre-riding all the courses and I was very pleasantly surprised with with the new trails out there. And I already loved all the trails out there as well. Um the job that Roxala did with all of the I guess Lizard Trail, um Hayes Creek, uh the Chickala is it Chicka? Oh goodness, can't remember the other name of that one. But all of those trails are just really exciting and they've got pretty much everything that you could want in a mountain bike trail system. You've got directional trails, you've got uh, bi-directional trails, you've got scenic trails, you've got reveal trails. Actually, like most of the trails on the, I guess to be the south side are just like strictly a one giant reveal. It's so amazing off the top there. So anyways, yeah, I, I just love the trails out there. And, you know, Enduro's always bring such a fun environment to, they're always so exciting. You know, there's there's always nerves in the air and people are there to go fast, which is exciting. So yeah, it was a great weekend. Yeah. I've not been to Mount Nebo, but I've seen the pictures and it's a place that I definitely want to go to. And it's good to see uh, the big mountain enduro sticking to a place that's outside of the mountain West, you know, so people in the Midwest, in the middle of the country can experience that type of thing as well. You know, my hope is that this is, you know, Ironton was really the the first this way and then now bme coming to nebo i i hope it opens the door for other venues like this one um i'm I'm sure you guys have seen but there's definitely something happening in mina (laughs) and now that it's kind of public and and the national force is reaching out to the public for for feedback i i'm really hopeful that that arkansas can get more than one venue for not only enduros but also downhill events and I'm excited for what the future holds with when it comes to racing and downhill and gravity sports in, in Arkansas. So, well, speaking of Mina, if I saw yeah. the, if I saw the rendering correct, there is something like a, maybe like up to five chairlifts proposed. Yeah. It, it, it would be, in, it would be just incredible. I mean, I can't think of anything other than Whistler of the South with five chairlifts. I mean, I don't know all the details. I'm not privy to all the details, but five chairlifts is a lot. And you could do 
I really, you could do so much with that much terrain. I mean, you could have an endless number of trails and, and you could suit so many different kinds of riders with that kind of that expanse of terrain and the kind of terrain that they have. Oh my gosh, it would be, it would really be spectacular. Do you know what the vertical drop is at that venue? Yeah. So uh, you mean at, at Mina? Yeah, at Mina. Yep. So right off the north side, there's 1,100 foot. And if you go to the very top, it's 1,300 foot of the most far west chairlift that they had proposed. It's, it's really significant. Yeah, it would be incredible. Well, and, and to be clear for the listener out there, like this is truly concept stage anyways. I mean, they're soliciting yeah. feedback. And so like any details that are out there are just truly concepts. They're not set in stone. Yeah. You know? And so that's, that's an important part of this that, you know, whatever's Absolutely. there is just like a rendering of, of what potentially might happen. Yeah. And, and whether there's five chairlifts or two chairlifts, I think is not really what you should focus on. I think you should focus on the fact that one, the National Forest is soliciting the public for it, which means that there is interest in it and that this is not just some hearsay at this point about chairlifts in Arkansas. This is actual planning behind closed doors. And and now that there's public feedback and the people are aware of it, I, I think we have much higher chances of it happening than any of the other, you know, things that have been discussed in the past about Arkansas and chairlifts. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, to be clear, chairlifts on National Forest Service land is definitely not a new concept. It's basically how everything happens in in western in the western states and even in the eastern states with ski areas. Yeah. And so this That's isn't exactly like right. some thing that like, oh, we're going to put chairlifts in a place where they've never been before. It's a pretty common practice. Yeah. yeah. And really, it just means that there is a certain level of scrutiny that needs to be held that that both the builders, the planners all need to be held accountable too. And I think it's in, in the long run, a lot of positive comes out of it. There's nothing against full private bike parks. In fact, I love a lot of them, but this, it, it, it'll, it keeps things in check in a lot of ways and both for the environment and for the, for the way it's all put together and the density of trails, et cetera. It's, it's not a bad thing that it's going to be well-governed, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's on national forest land, so it has to follow the NEPA process just like anything else. Yep. That's exactly right. So the good news is it's excellent terrain out there. It's really cool. So I'm very, very, I'm looking forward to what the future holds for Arkansas downhill and lift served bike park. <laughs> and like, if we were looking at like on a national scale, it would be, there's enough vertical there to actually hold like what would be like maybe a gravity nationals, a USS cycling gravity nationals event in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I look at, I, I like to make comparables and mountain biking in, in ski lift style or chairlift style places where your lift served are, you know, there's really a limit to how high you even want to go, especially if you're trying to attract beginner riders and a thousand foot is, is really at the kind of the limit of where I would want a park that has a whole beginner friendly feel to it. You know, Angel Fire is a great example of a park that really is suited for kind of only the top 25 to 40% of riders, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love Angel Fire. It's a fantastic place, but you're strapped in for 2,100 foot of vert, no matter which way you get down. And that's a lot to ask of a beginner. So I'm, I'm glad to see that it's on a thousand foot, but it also makes 
it's that sweet spot on the on the downhill side for racing where the runs are long enough that you can hold events like that, like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, Ride Rock Creek is a prime example out in in North Carolina, Nico Molly's new place, and that was just built in the last year. And yeah, it's I don't think it has more than an eleven hundred feet of vert, and they're holding Gravity Nationals there in July. Yeah, and I saw nothing but I think it was downhill southeast that had an event there in the last couple of weeks, yeah. maybe the last month or so. It was three weeks ago. Boy, it looked really, really fun. So definitely on my to-do list when I get out east this year. With, with that being said, we should mention that a 16-year-old beat Aaron Gwen and Lucas Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which tells yeah. me that the future of gravity in the United States is looking pretty good. So that's a good thing. Yep. I was, uh, I love seeing the young kids. You know, I, we always have to look through things through our own lenses, and my lens is, is generally speaking Bentonville. And my goodness, this place has produced some incredible riders, and they're all you know they're thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old, and it's just so much fun to watch them as they mature, they become young adults, and they also become just their skill level is uh, it's just unbelievable. It's so fun, and and Bentonville has done that, and you. You can't say anything otherwise. It's there's just no other way to explain it. These kids are from Bentonville that can, let's say, go out to Angel Fire and compete in downhill events. And actually, last year Finn Logan won one of the downhill events at Angel Fire last year, and that's that says a lot about what this community is and and what it's producing. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Let's stay in that community. Let's get into Trailblazers. Sure. Because yeah. Trailblazers isn't a new organization. It's been around right. for a long time, but it kind of went through a restructure in the last, I'm going to say, two years? Yeah, two, three years. I was going to say, let's talk about what Trailblazers kind of, as you see it, what it was and what it's transitioned into and the role that Trailblazers plays in the trail ecosystem, we'll call it, in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, well, so Aaron, the, the CEO of Trailblazers, uh, you've had him on the podcast, I believe. Yep. He's been here effectively since the beginning, not the actual beginning, which is even weirder, but he was the first paid employee of Trailblazers. And originally, Trailblazers was here to help facilitate the growth of both soft and hard surface trails. So really just to promote connectivity within the Northwest Arkansas area for cycling. And that has absolutely continued and will continue and is a huge part of what we do. But in 20, let me see, I guess it was, I guess it was 2020, we merged officially with Bike NWA and became just Trailblazers. Bike NWA is the advocacy side of the Trailblazers. We are a huge part of many events in this community. We advocate for really getting people onto bicycles, period. And that's kind of the end of the statement. Whether it's commuting, whether it's for recreation whether it's connecting neighborhoods to larger trail centers, trailblazers are working towards having more people on bikes. Um, one of the hashtags that is trailblazers is movement for all. And that's a, that's a pretty good way to explain it. Um, trailblazers are a huge part of, let's say the eight street connector it used to be a three lane road. And now it's a two lane road with a bike lane that's completely protected. Trailblazers were a huge part of that. If you see a greenway in Northwest Arkansas, it is very, very, very likely that Daniel Marley was the one that designed it and facilitated the project from the get-go to finish. 
And on our side of it, we are constantly building soft surface connectors from neighborhoods into slaughter pen, neighborhood into Kohler, neighborhood to Greenway, neighborhoods to really any any way that we can connect people through bikes to the community, we are trying to do it. If that makes sense, that's what we do. That totally makes sense. So let's talk about how Trailblazers kind of fits in because anyone that's been to Bentonville, specifically for mountain biking, I'm sure yeah. that's pretty much all we have for listeners here that are, you know, they, they just want to listen to mountain biking related stuff or trail related <laughs> content. I don't think we have people that aren't interested in trails here. And if they've, yeah. been, if they've been to Bentonville, they've probably seen XYZ trail building company or multiple XYZ trail building companies doing yeah. stuff in the woods. What is the role that Trailblazers plays? in say a private entity and the public infrastructure? Cause I, I, I believe there's some coordination in, with that. Absolutely. So on the soft surface side, say it's rock solid or progressive trail design or rogue or any number of trail companies, they are hired through the trailblazers as a subcontractor. At this day and age, most of the projects are designed in house or with assistance from another company like rock solid or Progressive trail design. And then either we do it internally with our crew or it's subcontracted out through another crew. So it's kind of muddy because we both do all the things, but all of the projects are funneled through the trailblazers. And then the trailblazers basically decide who is going to do the project or who is going to design the project and then who's going to build the project. For instance, last year we had a contractor do this bike fest event, but this year we're doing it in, in house. So if you have ridden a trail in Bentonville, it has guaranteed in some capacity been through the doors at the Trailblazers. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Every, almost every single soft surface project in Bentonville has been facilitated and or built or some kind of, we are a part of all of all the soft surface trail projects in, in the area. Yeah. And even going back to like, we'll say 2016 when the back 40 was getting built, you yep. know, from when that went to concept, I remember even talking to Aaron rushing and how he was, you know, he was kind of providing a lot of that oversight. That Absolutely. And, and really even as early as the back 40, we didn't have a, a trail crew, but we had people either on the board or on the staff that were a part of the project, even on the back 40. So Little Sugar was, or so Tunnel Vision Down Under, et cetera, those, those trails were kind of the second version of back 40, but on the other side of the highway. And those were, were planned and designed in-house through Trailblazers and then subcontracted out to Rogue, Rock Solid, and a couple of others here and there throughout the years. So that's actually a really good example of, of how this all works. It's pretty wild the way this community has come together and accepted mountain biking without ever really knowing that trailblazers were there behind closed doors the whole time. But the trailblazers have been there behind closed doors the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody has got to facilitate all this. I think, in, you know, in, in some regard, obviously Gary Vernon plays a, a pivotal role in this, but you know, there's only one of him. Right. And yeah. so how do you, how do you manage, truly manage the volume of trail and builders that are working at any given time in any given place yeah. in Northwest Arkansas? What we do 
is made possible because of Gary in a lot of ways. But Gary is one man, like you said. He can't facilitate all of this by himself. He would be, he would have pulled all of his hairs out of his head, I would imagine. <laughs> Let's just say he probably wouldn't be able to jump as good as he, as he does right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Gosh, he's such a good rider. <laughs> he is. Man, he's, he's fun. But yeah, so the way it kind of works with the Trailblazers is we oftentimes get an ask from either directly from the Walton family or we have an ask from the community or there's any number of ways that projects come to be. But a lot of the times there's an idea and we have to just figure out how to make that work. And we are also the ones that are held accountable for saying, yes, that's a good idea or no, that's a bad idea or okay, that's a bad idea, but how can we still facilitate that thought process in a better way than what maybe was originally thought. And a lot of these connectors are, are that we're a part of these days are a good exercise in that because we have to work much more closely with landowners to collect easements from landowners to, and sometimes we don't get, we don't want to, we don't get to do exactly what we want to do because of that. But making these connections from, let's say, you live exact. So we're at this property called Applegate right now, and there's a greenway that runs right next to us, right? Well, if you have one person that says no to that greenway, then you have to move the greenway. So sometimes it's a little more complicated than we want it to be, but it, it just is the way it is. And trailblazers handle all of those really challenging tasks behind closed doors. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, I think some people think that stuff just happens in Bentonville and it's truly not yeah. the case, you know, because everywhere, I mean, like you said, there's, you have to get easements in private land and it's, you know, I, one could imagine it might be a little bit easier in, in a place like Benton, Bentonville. And I'm only going to say because it's becoming more normal to see this type of stuff where, right. where when you go to a different community that may have never seen what's happening in a place like Bentonville, yeah. they can't really wrap their head around it because they have no proof of concept that they can visually see. Right. Right. You know, and, and yeah, I think it has gotten easier over the years in, in some capacity, but there's always going to be people who kind of put up a fight, whether they have a good reason or not, we have to listen to it. And I remember doing a connector that was a reroute for a trail because there was a road project in Bella Vista. So we actually built a new trail to go around a bridge they were building. It was, was going to be a big pr problem to put the trail where it was. Anyways, we had this one lady and she was, she was older. She was probably 75 or 80 years old and she just didn't understand. And that's a lot of the times what it is. They just don't understand what's going to be happening. They, they don't understand the volume of people that are going to be coming basically onto their property or very close to. And sometimes you just have to, just have to talk to them with a, with a kind listening ear and just explain what's going to be going on. And, you know, once they realize that a piece of single track on a 50 mile trail system is probably not going to have 200 users on it every day, you know? And, and then they, they, they oftentimes have their fears <laughs> relaxed and, and things can go more smoothly, but it's, it's challenging and um, it's not as easy as it looks from the surface or at least from the outside looking in in Bentonville, there's been lots of things that have not gone exactly to plan. and Sometimes you get a trail that is a byproduct of something like that, where you have an alignment that's a little, maybe not ideal, 
but we're also building in neighborhoods. So you don't always get perfect, you know? Well, and it's, it's that resistance that allows us to learn, you know, to, and to get better when, you know, future problems arise, you know, I mean, I can, I can totally relate to everything you're saying just from a, you know, my former role at DOT, you know, I I was always talking to property owners about projects or whatever was going to go on near their house. And in their world, that's their most important thing, right? Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. And, you know, Benville is so unique in so many ways, but at the end of the day, it's still a town full of people and you need people to have all of this to be successful. And you just have to make people aware of what's happening. I think that's the biggest thing is people don't like to be surprised. You know, they don't like to feel like they've been, you know, I really have found that they don't like to see potential project project running through their property before they know that that thing. At a public information meeting. (laughs) It's exactly right. (laughs) That seems to get people fired up. (laughs) That does. Yeah, I've been involved with that on the DOT side of things. And let me tell you, people like, I didn't know this was happening. And you're putting a highway in my backyard. Yeah. Although it's <laughs> if the, if whoever's in, in charge of that, the project manager, project leader, or whatever title that is, like, hopefully they have, you know, at least conversations with the affected property owners that are directly adjacent. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> before, yeah. so, you know, before the public information meeting. So they're not just totally. The public information yeah. meeting is more for the actual rest of the public. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's funny. I, this is a, a, an excellent example, but, you know, Blackbird, people think that we just abandoned it, right? Well, it's not been abandoned. The D- Arkansas Department of Transportation has, it has their easement on the land and we can't touch it. You know, it, that's a, a perfect example of it kind of going the other direction. You know? <laughs> like where we have to work with Department of Transportation at this point until they say, that we're okay to use that land again. And it could be this year. It could be next year. We don't know exactly when, but we do know that at some point we will get it back and we just have to play, play it on their time, you know, on their, on their court. So. Yeah. And I know that story all too well from the department of transportation side of things. And they don't, and you don't (laughs) want to be the the bad guy. Like you want, you want to not shut projects down, but at the same time, the department of transportation is there for the best interest of what, they're doing for business, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. moving people. That's exactly and right. And, and, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that was always a very dangerous place in terms of how 49 effectively just ended. You drove through Bella Vista and then jumped back on 49 after you got back into Missouri. So I think most people are glad to see the highway and we can live without one trail for a little bit, you know? <laughs> Let's get into your role with Trailblazers and what your role actually does and what it means. You know, yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's a critical role. And I think there's a lot of organizations that, you know, they may start like Trailblazers did with one executive director. Oh, what is this? We're getting interrupted. Jeremy? Hello? Hello? <laughs> Jeremy <laughs> McGee? <laughs> what are you doing are you, here? Are you sitting outside my house in your car right now? Yeah, I'm trying to look in your window. <laughs> what are you doing, um, man? How are you? I just wanted to um chime in and say hello. Things are super crazy for you right now. We are we are very, very busy. When Josh said you're doing this meeting today, I was like, how is he doing this? <laughs> well, I'm in a car 
on site. So <laughs> we'll say the car is parked though. It's not, he's not driving. So just for those that are listening, That's he's right. not like breaking any laws or anything. Hey, that is not a lie. I'm sitting underneath a beautiful oak tree with some lovely shade and you know, <laughs> look at you. That's so cute. <laughs> hey, um, I want to bring the van over there with some cold beverages. Yeah. At some point, when would be good to do that? The hours between seven and five are pretty much guaranteed that somebody will be here working. <laughs> but if I'm bringing beers, uh, probably towards the end of the day, it's better. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Oh, so. You can totally Close do that at noon. <laughs> production will just yeah. drop to it's to nothing. So, um, so like five o'clock sometime. Yeah. Are you, are you guys still there? 430, by 430 would be good. We usually start picking up and making sure our tools are away about that time. All right. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm assuming I'm interrupting. <laughs> well, you're never interrupting, Jeremy. Dude, how red is my face on this camera? That's crazy. Well, the Do good thing is red? we don't do video, Jeremy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so we, we're just doing audio. So you can, you, but you look good, man. It's been a month or so since I've seen your face. Yeah, that I was, was super fun. When you you little, I was thinking you looked a little tan, not, not red. Okay, good. Well, tan for yeah. me is, is pink. Well, <laughs> um, so I'm not sure what you guys have talked about, but did you, have you guys discussed the, the AMTB work that, that you and Blazers no. have done? Not yet. No, no we're we going to right now. Well, Ethan, you were this one day, you were, you were really sick. You guys Gosh. actually had to reschedule because of it. And you yeah. were working, you were working on shock and awe. Yes. But the day that I rode Little Sugar was that was, day. Was that day. And yeah. I was able I was able to perform the first completely solo loop by an adaptive rider in Little Sugar for the first time yeah. ever. Um and I don't know, you were sick and stuff, so I don't know if you had the, the chance to like realize how big of a deal that is. Yeah, no, I I definitely did not feel good that day. However, <laughs> I, <laughs> I did realize how one special that had to feel for you. And 100%. I think the impacts of the AMTV projects that we've been doing really kind of hit home that day for, for you and for us. Cause we, I mean, that's, it just opened up in an, a really an incredible amount of writing for both you and anybody who is AMTV. Uh, and I just think that is, it's just really special. It's really special. Agreed. And uh, I, I cried that day. <laughs> You're just happy to see me. Well, always, <laughs> always. <laughs> and then what, what I came to realize too, is like, it, it doesn't take, I mean, I realized this before, obviously, but it like really came to fruition that day. Like, it really doesn't take much, you know, there was yeah. just those two spots that you had, you had Maddie and Dustin work on that day. Yep. And that got me through like close to eight miles of trails yeah. from just these two spots. Well, pretty and cool. Jeremy, you know, we, we needed you though, in a lot of ways to identify, help us identify the spots that, you know, a, a normal mountain biker might ride past and not ever think twice about it. And if you weren't there to help us or guide us along, we, we may not have gotten there or maybe we would have gotten there eventually, but you certainly helped us 
increase the speed at which we could get that done. And we've done that now in a lot of places because of your help. I can think of literally dozens of small, little projects that we've done based off of your feedback that allowed, let's say, okay, how about that wall ride on Tatamaguchi, right? That used to to not be able to ride Jesse's last stand in Slaughter Pen without a significant amount of help or, or completely circumventing the normal climb trail to get to it. And now you can do it however many times you want. And it's just one projects like that, that allow a huge amount of additional, like that, that bridge project took what a couple of days for us to do yet. It allowed you to access a whole new downhill trail. And I, I would, I mean, that stuff puts me ear to ear. I'm so happy when, when that works out and those projects mean a lot to us. I love that trail. Yeah. That's super fun. I'm still stoked to get to be able to get to ride it now. Yeah. And of course it's fun for me. <laughs> like I, I get to ride my bike and get paid to do it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. And, yeah. uh, have a lot of really cool new friends because of it too. Josh, if you're not aware, um, we hired Jeremy, the trailblazers. I say, we trailblazers hired Jeremy to basically catalog all of our trail networks and point out where our problem areas are on each individual trail to make these trails adaptive friendly. And throughout 2022 and now 2023, we've been slowly chipping away at making small adjustments to trails that already exist to make them AMTB, AMTB one, correct? Uh, not always, not always. Um, that's a whole other can of worms yeah. to open up. Yeah. Yeah. But what we are doing is, um, identifying what we call the low hanging fruit, right? Like the, you know, the, the one or two or three, you know, adjustments we can make to open up like maximum mileage. Yeah. And definitely, you know, not touching trails where it's, you know, too much work or, you know, irresponsible from, yeah, to, to, you know, yeah. But uh, I guess the long and the short is he gave us a laundry list of, as he says, low hanging mm-hmm. fruit. And at this point, we've pretty much knocked all of them off. I think there's a couple of them left on the, on the list that we want to get done. I'm hoping we can get them done in the next couple of weeks, but we'll see. No, we you're not going to get them done in the next couple of weeks. You're, you're probably right. We won't get them done. No, in the next not with bike weeks. fest coming up. Not with bike yeah. fest. Um, but I am staying. We just established today that I am staying through June. Oh, cool. So yeah. So after bike fest, if we can work on landline, yeah. that'll open up 14 miles. Wow. Yeah. We are, we will definitely yeah. do that. Yeah. That's, that's the next step for the little sugar. And then that'll open up 14 miles in addition to the seven seven or eight that we opened up with our, with those two other spots. So that's, you know, over 20 miles yeah. trail right there. That's pretty amazing. That's a big deal. That's a, that's big, a big deal. deal. That's a big deal. Yep. Very, very cool. <laughs> how's your, uh, how's your jumping project been going, Jeremy? It is really going. And it's, it's pretty exciting. 
I'm not afraid of drops anymore. That's, that's a big step. And, uh, I've been working with a local suspension expert, Mark McKinney, and he, he is tuned to my rear shock and I'm giving him, which has completely changed my jumping experience completely. And then he's, he's taking my front shocks next week. And that's the next, that's the next step in the progression. And, um, we've we've built a kind of replica of drop the hammer and have a huge atv kicker set up over an airbag over an airbag over by fitzgerald and um we're going to be hitting that very soon sounds pretty incredible for those that i mean people that are listening probably don't know what we're talking about but you're in the process I, well can we can we talk about this openly it's even though it's not done yet but you're you're making a 100%. documentary yes 100% you want to quick, talk about like it. go over what that documentary will be? Well, uh, you know, um, jumping with my bike is scary, and because it's super front heavy and everything. And Ethan and the Trailblazers guys have um, kind of taken it upon themselves to help me out with my jumping problems, and it's and we we're making a documentary film of the whole process. Yeah. Which is really cool because it's, you know, it's more than just access. It's more, we're, ta- we're talking about more than just access, like not just getting adaptive riders down trails, but now we're taking this to a point where we're now optimizing the experience. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is really amazing. I can't wait to see it. I, I wish I was around more to just see the process of this stuff. You know, and well, we've come learned- on down. We've, we've had the opportunity to learn a lot about the way Jeremy jumps, but also how to build trails better, especially flow trails where you can get some pretty serious off camber sections, um, which is a lot of the time what, what really throws Jeremy and, and other adaptive riders literally for a loop. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and we, we have learned ways to avoid those things without diminishing the rider experience for anybody. It's just really the, the, the goal is to get people on onto trails and including Jeremy. And we can do that. We have the ability to do that. And it's not, it's not, it's not out of the realm of, of normal trail building. We can manage it quite easily. So it's something that we're going to be implementing from now on, on any trail that we build. It's, well, I think the I think the key is because I can accommodate off camber. It just depends on how much speed I have, right? Right, like, right. I can get way up on a wall if I'm going fast. What the the key is is you know everybody should be able to roll that and check it out. Should be able to check yeah. it out the first time with low yeah. speed, and that's interesting when it comes to an adaptive rider. It's the really creating- interesting that you say that because. Uh, Josh's previous guest, Josh, or or not Josh, um, Glenn Jacobs was on here and he talked a lot about making trails that are usable for lots of different user groups. And it's exactly what we're trying to accomplish is something that he holds. It sounds like his company holds near and dear to their heart, which is, it's all about getting people on bikes, right? That's, that's exactly out. So if, if more people are on bikes and more people are using the trails and are, are feeling comfortable doing so, then we're winning. That's perfect. That's perfect. 
we're winning. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and a good example and teaching people that there's multiple levels of that, you know, for example, like, um, hatter, um, yeah, that's a trail. Now, now that's a trail. You cannot, uh, an adaptive rider is not going to be able to roll slowly the first time. Right. And so, you know, identifying and, and it would, it's, it's always going to be that that's the nature of the trail. Um, yeah. but trails like, Fireline at Kohler yeah. is totally something that an adaptive rider can roll slowly for the first time and then yeah. ride it with more speed and get it up on the berms and stuff. Right. And then they can send right. it off the bridge to flat. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm learning I need to slow down for now. <laughs> Jeremy, you just throttling off the end, just like full bore. I am. I'm going pretty much full bore and it's, it's too much. I've had, I have to pull back on it now because I'm landing really, really hard. And how fast does your bike go? Um, well, I guess it depends on how steep the hill is, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going, I'm probably going pretty fast. I don't know. I should look at my top speed on Fireline. That's probably right about there. So most riders are hitting that at like 15 to 16 miles an hour. I'd imagine you're going faster than that. If you're going to flat. Yeah. I'm, I'm going over 20 for sure. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Bruising. Yeah. When we rode together a month or so ago, you said to me right before we went, dropped in on Fireline, you're like, yeah, I got to slow down on that bridge. And then we got to the bottom. I was ahead of you. We got to the bottom and the look in your face was like, I just sent it further than I've ever sent it in my entire life. And I'm like, you were just talking about slowing down. It's hard to do, man. Slowing down is hard. He's having too much fun going fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, originally it was my goal to get all three wheels on dirt on, off yeah. that bridge in, you know, it, in practicing for drop the hammer. But that landing is just not built to land that far. No, it's um, just not yeah. a steep enough landing for that kind of. Yeah. yeah. And then a, a, it's not even half the distance of the landing for drop the hammer. Is it for how long it drop the hammer landing rolls out? No, it's, it's much shorter and that's a three flatter. to one drop based like on from wood to, to dirt is three to one. So you're going to have to be moving to clear the whole wood feature. And it was not really designed or built to be ridden like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm stupid. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. No, you're having yourself. fun is what you are. That's right. But then, but then after that bridge, it's, I have to remind myself, oh, shit, there's jumps coming up. I have to, like, stay on the throttle. Yeah, that makes sense. For the next, for the jumps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun trail. There is one jump. Maybe we talked about it already. There is one jump on Fireline that I want. I wanted to call your attention to that just me every time, no matter what. Yeah. Did we talk about it already? I don't think so. But the sad part is we don't we don't work at Kohler anymore. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. I need to talk to those Lori. people about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. talk to her about it for sure. Yeah. I got a little laundry list for her. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. That's super fun. Um, well, I'll let you guys get back to talking. I need to run. I'll see you over uh, on site sometime this week with some with some cold beverages, Ethan. We'd love to see you. Thanks, man. Thank you right for on. joining talk us, Jeremy. You. Hell yeah. Talk to you soon, Josh. Yeah, yeah. See you, Jeremy. Bye. Well, that was a fun surprise. So we'll go back to before we had the awesome addition of Jeremy P. McGee hop in here. We're going to get into your role at Trailblazers yeah. and what your role, what you do, like what a, you know, maybe what a day to day or week to week type of work you do as the trail crew manager for Trailblazers. Yeah. So we kind of have two distinct sides um, to our work, but it, it's pretty simply broken down into building and maintaining. The maintenance ranges everything from running weed eaters and rakes to repairing a berm with a small excavator, or we actually have a, an entire GIS system that we've built out over the last couple of years that allows us to identify what we actually do. And so we have five categories of work that we do. We have levels one through five, one being the most simple of maintenance, which is just running a like I said, running a rake or a leaf blower or weed eating a trail. Level two is very light machine work. So if you're just going to kind of like, you know, rough up a surface or scarify a surface, remove rocks and then repack, something like that. Level three is where you're kind of getting into the more heavy machine work, whether it's going to be realigning a trail for whatever purpose, whether it was, say, we had a natural event. And we needed to put a bridge in. The trail used to be there, but we have a bunch of material in the middle of where the bridge is going to go. We need to move that out and then make an alignment and ingress and an egress for the bridge, et cetera. Level four is assisting other trail companies with projects. And that could be as something as simple as facilitating the usage of our dump truck or the usage of one of our tools, because we have many pieces of equipment that are owned by the trailblazers and are operated by our crew. And then level special five and five is then special events. So that's what we're doing right now. And we actually just wrapped up a special event with the UCI XC course down in Fayetteville for Centennial. We were the ones that prepared the course. We operated as, and um, we're actually the course marshals through the entire event to make sure that all of the inside and outside loops, the start loops, et cetera, operated smoothly throughout the weekend. So we are, really multifaceted. Um, we do everything, like I said, from running rakes to complete trail builds to special events, et cetera. It's kind of, well, it runs the gamut right now. Like I said earlier, we're, we're at bike fest and we're building, um, the pro slope style jump line, which has been a really fun project, but there's a lot of moving pieces and a relatively tight deadline on it. So it's fun. It, it keeps us guessing. You never know exactly what you're going to be getting into every day but we do know that we're going to be outside and we're going to be on trails, which is the best part. How many employees does Trailblazers have at any given time? I know it probably fluctuates, but what, like, what do you guys have for employees numbers? So I run on my side of the, of the Trailblazers, I run a crew of 10 full-time employees. And then I'm actually getting ready to hire four part-time seasonal employees simply because we can't keep up with the growth. You know, we have some, our, our woods just, explode with greenery during the summer months and 
if you're not careful, you'll end up with eight foot tall weeds on the side of your trail. So that's a, a big part of what we do during the summer months. Um, we actually have a number of properties that are owned by the trailblazers as well, um, which we have to maintain just for the city's sake. So we'll have to go out and mow. We'll have to weed eat some areas and trim some areas along the greenway that trailblazers own. We couldn't have these, these are the weird situations where we couldn't get an easement, but it made sense to buy the property. Um, and then we just, it's now our property forever. So <laughs> yeah, so our day-to-day is pretty unique in that um, some days we'll be refinishing a set of berms. Um, another day we'll be building a pro jump line. Another day we'll be looking at through a hindsight lens of why a trail was not an effective one in an area and then how do we fix it and make it make it appropriate for the end user it's a perfect segue into my next uh, topic is trail building yeah you've been responsible for building or rebuilding some of the most iconic trails in your region yeah. what's what's kind of your philosophy or your approach to this like what do you what do you and obviously it's different for each trail right because you're absolutely one trail is going to be a different experience than another trail but like more high level, like what's your, what's your approach or what are you thinking about when you're going to go in and do something, something like that? So you have to look at, at the big picture first and foremost and understand what the goal is and who the trail is for. That's my number one question when I'm tasked with, with what or our crew is tasked with doing something of that scale. And fortunately we have a previous example oftentimes of how that was or was not achieved. And so we can say, okay, what was it about the trail that didn't work well? And what is the goal of the trail in the first place? So oftentimes, especially with projects in Slaughter Pen, you have to understand the user group. And Slaughter Pen is a very, very, it's a very attractive place for beginners. And if you build something that is not appropriate for the space, it, it becomes apparent relatively quickly, especially when you talk about incident reports and injuries. We also have other things to consider like control points. In Slaughter Pen, we have some really unusual things happening like a sewer main or literal uh, wastewater treatment facility right in the middle of the park. And with that comes a lot of very large utilities that you can't move or even get close to really. So you might not want to either. You may not. That's actually probably the, the better way to say it. You <laughs> definitely don't want to. <laughs> um, so let's, let's take, for example, our most recent project, which is Apple Dumpling. And, you know, you can both like a trail and also understand that the end user group that is riding it is also not the one that the build was intended for, right? And I could ride the old trail and I liked the old trail. However, the incident report said otherwise. And we had an opportunity to say, look objectively at what happened and see that there was both erosion problems and problems with people getting injured on the trail. And we were allowed to then build something that was more appropriate for the end user group. And the trail was always intended to be a blue beginner oriented jump line, right? And so that's that was our beginning phases. We knew that we one needed to set the trail grade that was appropriate for the speed of a blue trail. 
And beyond that, the rest of it can be, there is leniency beyond that. Trail grade is, is effectively the only thing that we control when it comes to speed. Everything else is a variable. I can't control your tires. I can't control how much air is in your tires. I can't control your body weight. Can't control your suspension. But I can control how rapidly you descend down the hill. And for us, that allows us to control the speed, which then allows us to control how the rider then uses the trail in a normal situation. And if if you want to add pedals or you want to ride like a maniac, that's your prerogative. I can't prevent you from doing that. But I can at bare minimum set grades that are appropriate for the end user group. And then beyond that, you start building, you build features that are appropriate for the end user group. So if it's a blue trail, we're not going to have a seven foot tall lip or a you know 30 foot long table going 25 miles an hour into it. It's just not appropriate. So you know that that's kind of the our thought process is we identify our hard points, we know who the end user group is, we set the trail grade and then we build a trail with appropriate features on it. Yeah. And that's a really good lesson for everybody that you know to really think about. I think it's starting to change and even Glenn talked about this a little bit, but you know, people, sometimes builders are building for their own personal wants and desires. Yeah. And I think Glenn called them ego trails. That's exactly what he called them is ego yeah. trails. And when you're building for a community or even bigger than a community in, in, in your case, you know, a trail town, Yeah, you got to take all that into account. It's not just going to be you and your, your four buddies that are trying to rip that trail. That's right. You know, and, and that's the thing that I, I have repeated to my guys over and over and over and over again is I've had some really fortunate experiences in my life getting to work with people who have been able to pass their knowledge to me from working in places like paid for bike parks where liability is a real thing. And we live in this bizarre space where Bentonville is effectively a bike park, but it's free, right? So the scrutiny is not nearly as high would be for somebody building a jump line at a, at a paid for bike park. But the reality is we also need to abide by a lot of the same bystanders that, that or the, the same standards that exist within the bike park industry, because that's what we have effectively built. And I don't want to see people getting hurt. I don't want to build trails that have a tendency to hurt people. And generally speaking, riders don't enjoy that surprise them. That's just, you know, we can be better than that and have the opportunity to do so with our, with our position within the Trailblazers. Well, we're going to roll into a segment that I typically try to ask everybody, although I don't yeah. think I asked Glenn this. Maybe, oh, no, I did ask him. What do you look for in a trail community or a mountain bike community? And we're going to qualify this with outside of Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. So if you're going to travel somewhere... What are the things you're looking for, for whether it's, I mean, it could, you've heard the show, you know, people go all over Absolutely. the place. It goes from beer to community involvement. Yeah. I, I think for me, if I'm going to spend money and go drive somewhere, the riding needs to be top notch. That's a big one for me. I'm, if I'm going to travel for riding, it better be good riding, right? Yeah. Coming out of Oz, it's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, I can roll out my back door and access 300 miles of trails. That's a, that's a big ask. So I don't need volume. I've got volume. I want quality. And 
you know, Glenn talked about it a lot in his, but there's a feeling that you get when a trail works and it doesn't even need to be described with words because it, it, it is a feeling within you as you, as you go down the mountain, I naturally progress or are naturally kind of magnet. I'm, I'm drawn to downhill oriented trails just because I like, I like to go fast and I like to jump and I like, I like the experience that you receive when you go downhill. So that being said, usually when I travel, I will visit either the West coast, the East, you know, I've been to Jared's place, some of the Southeast parks. Um, I gravitate towards gravity, if that makes sense. But beyond that, I want the community is, is not as big of a, a big thing for me. It's more so I want somewhere to stay that is very important to me, um, whether it be I'm camping or camping in my car or a hotel, et cetera. I want somewhere with options to stay so I don't have to be pigeonholed into spending $1,000 a week somewhere. I don't mind spending the money, but if that's the only option, not really super high up on my list of somewhere to go. I want somewhere that if my wife doesn't want to ride bikes that day, that she could potentially go do something else. That's important. And of course, good food and good beer is very, is, is high up on the list. It's vacation at the end of the day. So <laughs> it is, it is. We have to get you to Copper Harbor. You know, it's been on my to-do list and, and regrettably, I have not been there yet. Andy's been trying to get me to go up there for years now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like when I ask people this question, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is what they describe. And Copper Harbor is yeah. a little bit of an anomaly because it, it doesn't have a lot of population. It does have very good options for, it doesn't have a huge amount of options for food. It does have a huge amount of options for places to stay. You can totally, you can dirtbag camp and public land, yeah. or you can get a really nice place to stay. So it's got the full gamut of, of lodging. But when you say quality over quantity, there isn't a huge amount of that. It's going to probably going to continue to change. They're, get, they're getting more quantity, but yeah. the quality for me is what draws me back to that place every single time. Yeah. And they have more gravity now too. Because now they're getting shuttles at East Bluff going this summer. Well, and I, I hope it doesn't come off as that I only ride gravity trails, but I, I do enjoy them a lot. And um, it's, it's certainly ha like my building style is more, I just have built more gravity oriented trails. And, and the ones that don't work are oftentimes gravity trails because they, you can just, like I said, you can feel it when they don't work. And you can also really hurt people more quickly on gravity trails when they don't work. So a lot of my experience has been rebuilding gravity trails and then, or building from scratch, scratch gravity trails. So it's, you know, that's in my wheelhouse. So all that to be said, I really enjoy riding all kinds of trails. I, I, I'll go out and ride 30 or 40 miles with, with a buddy if, if, if that's what we decide to do that day. So it's nice to hear that there is a, a myriad of, of trails and different experiences in Copper Harbor because it's, it's definitely something that I find appealing in a, in a vacation spot. I'm going to say go in August or September. It's always the best time for temperatures and bugs. 
<laughs> their love and life as well at that time. <laughs> well, they're usually died off a little bit. Like it's like June and oh, July. I've been up there off. like, yeah, I've been there in July when the shore flies and granted that's, it's like only on the shore. So it's, you get, you know, a few hundred yards in you're fine. But like, I've been there like where they're going off and it's changed. It changes from year to year. Sometimes the hatch is sure. huge. Sometimes the hatch is not so huge. And, but you know, fall early to mid fall is always incredible up there. You have good temperatures. You know, yeah. if you get there when leaves are starting to change, that's obviously, you know, a pretty iconic stuff reveals. Like you got some of the best reveals, I think in North America there with being on the shores of Lake Superior. And I've done a, a little bit of research. Um, they've got something like 500 foot of vertical relief up there. Five correct? to 600 for sure. There's actually, yeah, they have, they have enough vert. That's actually what, and I've told this story more recently than, than I have in the past, but like, that's what really got my gears going uh, as to like, my first trip to Copper Harbor was a, back in 2011. My first ride was with Aaron from Rock Solid, and he had just finished building the the quote unquote flow trail. Right, it was the first float, basically the first flow trail in the Upper Midwest, and that to me changed my perspective of how to look at the landscape and what you can fit in the landscape for a trail. Because right. part of that, I was just riding like regular single track. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it really told me or showed me how much you can do with five or 600 feet of vert and really extend that out and make it long and enjoyable. And it's a 15 you know, minute downhill. It's, it's really interesting. You say that because, you know, Benville is, it only lends itself to a few kinds of riding really, really, really well. And flow trails because of what you're explaining work really well in Bentonville. You don't need a ton of grade to make a flow trail run quite quickly. You know, a seven and a half percent trail is a really fast blue trail, really fast blue trail. So you can make seven and a half percent on 300 foot lasting over half a mile, three quarters of a mile plus. And so that being said, you know, it's, it's, you can very easily go too far the other direction, like we were talking about earlier and end up blowing your rider out. If you're, you know, beyond if you don't give them a reprieve on a thousand foot mountain halfway down or, or even less than that, your riders are going to be upset with you that they, that they can't take a break. You know, their arms are going to be hurting and you know, Bentonville, the repeatability is what has been so successful about Bentonville and you know, the trail hubs, it's got its own flavor, but man, that is what is so special about modern mountain biking is you don't need a mountain. You don't need a mountain. And it's funny how quickly you can go, like I said, too far the other direction and, and really have the, the additional height be a detriment. So 500 is a, is a great amount of vert and you can have an absolute blast on 500 foot. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got 500 feet where I live too. And so it's, it's like, it's perfect. We, in fact, we just had a road race here over the weekend and another one of your residents from Bentonville who works for uh visit Bentonville on the bike side of things was a participant in that road race here, Mr. Noah Collins. Oh, really? And That's awesome. so he got to experience the climbing that we have here. Cause one of the stages of that road race is an uphill time trial. Man, if you do 500 foot all at once, that is a, it, it's all at a once. Serious. Oh, it's a serious climb. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. to see how fast people, how fast some of those, you know, cat one and pro road racers like are going like they're, pretty much going up the hill as fast as cars. Yeah. They're, they're really ridiculous. Those guys, I always, I love watching these 
you know, really elite athletes at all these events that we get to work because just not the ability to go fast, but the ability to go fast and then maintain that speed blows my mind. <laughs> For sure. Well, Ethan, let's wrap this one up. You've got work to do. Cool. You got the bike fest to I get do. back to to get ready for that. That's, That's coming right. up here and probably just a handful of weeks away, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. So we've got to be done by um, really in two weeks. And luckily we've got our dirt on site. This project has been a wild one. We've had to redesign the entire starting area. We're building it in. I don't know if you saw last year, but there was... Um, two containers that they rode off of the top of. Well, this year we decided because we're in a field, we had to build up this mound of dirt that's 11 foot high on one side and eight foot high on the other to stack the containers on. But because of the angle of repose off the back of back and sides of the, of the mound, we're now like 12 foot out from the container. I don't know if this makes sense, but so we'd have to bridge if we went straight up with the bikes and a stair set. So we built an internal staircase in these containers this year. And it's definitely been challenging, but very exciting. And uh, it's, it's added a little additional pressure, but we're really pumped to show it off when it's all said and done. Is it a, a different venue than before? Like a different location? It is. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember it, but it was on eighth street previously yeah. at the Malabar area. So this property is called Applegate, but um, it's really just effectively about a half a mile south of Kohler on the Greenway connected to Kohler. In addition to that, another, I think nine miles of trails have been built on this property. And they're just like kind of natural, raw, single track, hand cut built stuff. But for for a bike event where people are renting or or demoing bikes, rather, this is an, a really incredible space and people are going to be really pumped. It's four times the amount of area on site. So lots more vendors, the jumps are bigger, two or three airbags this year for people to ride. The trials course is bigger. It's going to be really, really fun. And it sounds like super easy access to then Kohler if by Greenway. That's exactly right. So we're, we're close to downtown. We're close to Kohler and we're on the Greenway to Kohler. So you'd never have to touch a road to go to Kohler or go ride, which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I remember the first year of outer bike when you'd have to ride from like downtown Bentonville and kind of follow signs yeah. over to Kohler if that was where you're going to go. That's right. Yep. And it, you know, at the end of the day, we we're all just living and learning it and, and trying to figure out how to do this whole bike town the best way that we can. And, uh, this is definitely an improvement for having a, a, a major style event like this. So, well, do you have any thank yous or closing comments, words of wisdom from Mr. Ethan Edmond? Yeah. For sure. I definitely want to shout out one of my, one of the people who's been most pivotal for me, who is Brandon RC. He um, owns Dirt Tech Trails. He worked for the Trailblazers for a couple of years and um, he passed down to me a wealth of knowledge that I don't know that I could ever thank him before. He came very much from the bike park world and taught me so many things. And I, I, I can never say thank you to him enough. You know what? I was just, I probably hung out with him more than anybody at, in Reno at, the, the, best, at the international trails conference. It was so, and it was cool because, and he's going to remember this and he listens to the show too, but him and yeah. it was, I was in between him and the guy that actually taught me some of my early years of learning how to trail build, which is, he's a guy that literally 
he was the first Imba trail car crew. His name is Mike Ryder. Him and his him and his former wife were the, they got the Subaru, the first Subaru ever. I've I've actually spoken to him a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm so I'm on the I'm at this table between Brandon and Mike. And like there, and Mike is like a full on I use a ditch witch. <laughs> I don't use an excavator. <laughs> and Brandon is the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, Brandon's like twenty. 25 plus thousand hours in an excavator. Yeah. So like to listen to those two compare notes and like, just kind of sit there like a fly on the wall. That should have been a podcast interview in itself. Like, yeah, I was just sitting there like just listening, like just absorbing their knowledge and what they were comparing and in the respect that they actually cared for each other because yeah, they come, they knew they came from two different worlds. That's right. You know, and and that was awesome too. Yep. You know, I, another another group of individuals I want to thank is my crew who, who I get to work with every day. You know, they, you know, we, like I said, we do a lot of really random things and, and they're not always what we signed up for in terms of um, our day to day and their ability to be flexible and their level of professionalism. You know, my crew is, they've all, almost the entirety of them have been here for three years, which is almost the the age of of the trail crew for the trailblazers. So I think we're like four, just over four years for the trail crew here. And, you know, they, they're all just, they're just so great to work with. So definitely want to say a big shout out to them. They make Oz trails possible. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing everything you do. You make my trips down there a lot more enjoyable. Well, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed coming down here and I hope we get to get ride together next time you come. We will. And I think I'll probably be coming there more frequently than the, in the past, thanks to some different job duties that I'll be taking on. So, <laughs> Well, I, I look forward to those times. And uh, again, Josh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate our time. For sure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, man. Have a great one. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. Also, check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsentit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect Podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the Trail Effect website where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Circulary, and Trail One Components. By using the links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which helps keep this thing going. Also, if you'd like to get a 20% discount at Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One Components, use the code TRAILPOD when checking out. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>